Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of our podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Jared Fergar, alongside Corey Geiger. Corey, how are you doing uh, as we get further into the offseason? You know, Jared, just let everybody know we record these on Saturday nights, which uh, is a nice and convenient time, hopefully for both of us. But it's weird because we're used to football games on Saturdays and college football. So we're into the off season now for a few weeks. It just kind of Saturdays kind of stink to me, to be honest with you. I, I love fall football Saturdays, you know, Penn state, you know, the, the, the national storylines. And so as we kind of get into the off season, uh, there, there's just not a whole heck of a lot to do on Saturdays. Jared, I, I watch some college basketball, but, uh, these days just get kind of boring pretty quickly. Yeah, there isn't much going on now. Luckily for me, I'm coaching uh, with the high school girls basketball team here in Altoona. And so that keeps me busy during the week. But yeah, Saturdays is kind of, have kind of been a lazy day uh, for me. I Last week, I went to see a former player of mine play at Temple against Houston. That was kind of fun. And then today, um, I kind of I went to see Penn State Altoona play um, back at the back of the uh, Altoona campus um division three basketball game and that was entertaining but yes you're right Saturdays are kind of mundane outside of the the 12 weeks uh, in the college football season yeah it's you know we we watch these games all days on Saturdays and then boom after the national championship and and the play it's just all taken away from us and everything uh as as we speak there's still NFL playoffs going on and it is cool this is something we'll talk about maybe a little bit later on today today but certainly in uh, a bunch of podcasts here in the coming weeks. The, these Penn State players who are still alive uh, in the playoffs: uh, Donovan Smith with the Bucks, Adrian Amos with the with the uh, uh, Packers. I mean, it's 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 been impressive. I think we talked touched on that last week. Just how good of a job Penn State does preparing players for the NFL, and that's one thing we're going to hit on a lot today, folks. Is uh, which Penn State guys will be available for the draft this year? Mel Kiper Jr. came out with his. Uh, first mock draft has a couple Penn State guys in the first round and we're even going to touch on some Steelers um, hopefully a lot of folks who listen to this podcast uh, at DK Pittsburgh Sports are Steelers fans as well should the Steelers take a quarterback in the first round I'm looking forward to that discussion Jared 
I am too. You know, I, I dabble in a little Steelers work um, every so often. So yeah, I'm very interested to talk about that. And, you know, uh, I have a very different opinion on, on Kenny Pickett and the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I'm very interested to talk about that, but, but let's talk Penn state football. And, you know, every year is different. Every year there's a new sense of optimism, but this year, I think there's a little bit different sense of optimism for the Nittany Lions moving forward. They've got a 17th year starter um, in Sean Clifford. Uh, they bring back Kevon Lee. They have replaced Jahan Dawson, but Parker Washington, Andrew Lambert Smith uh, are, are capable replacements. Um, you know, Theo Johnson, Brenton Strange at tight end. Uh, and what should be an improved, can't get much worse, but an improved offensive line unit. Um, so at least there's a little bit of optimism um, offensively. Yeah, and then one thing I wanted to touch on is just reasons that we can look forward maybe to this fall. Now, I'm not going to just sit here and you know, wear blue-colored glasses and uh, talk about the Rose Bowl or college football but I, I'm a pretty realistic person when it comes to expectations for the sports teams that I follow and for the sports teams that I cover. I'm already on record of picking Penn State to go seven and five. Um, but I, I, I think there could be some, some possibilities to upgrade that a little bit because of the schedule, which I'll touch on here in a second. Uh, but coming off of a four and five season and a seven and five season, or seven and six season, you, you just wonder where is this program right now? And I, I do think there are reasons for question marks for 2022. But to me, th there was a huge factor uh, a, a couple weeks ago, Jared, that we touched on a little bit, but I want to hammer this point specifically in, in this podcast. And that is the schedule changing. Uh, initially, it was going to be against Ohio State in week five, at Michigan in week six, back-to-back -back games. And that would be the end of a, just an absolutely brutal six-week schedule to start the year because they've got at Purdue, at Auburn, then it would have been Ohio State and Michigan. When I wrote, Jared, my seven and five prediction right after the end of the season, it was based on that schedule and thinking that they're probably going to lose three of those games. All right. Uh, but what they've done is they've moved Ohio State back a few weeks and they've given Penn State a bye going into the Michigan game. So you do still have Purdue in the opener on the road. Then you go to Auburn in week uh, three and then you've got uh, at Michigan in week six. But Jerry, when I take a look at just that schedule change, I can see better than seven and five. My seven and five was predicated, predicated primarily on, hey, I, I'm really worried about this team at the beginning of the season. But I think some of those worries, again, you, we can focus on just Penn State and what they're going to bring to the table on Saturdays. But when you take away some of those opponents, uh, Ohio, especially Ohio State and Michigan back-to-back -back weeks, I do think, first and foremost, that is a big reason for optimism. Yeah, I mean, that's huge. Um, obviously, Penn State's never really handled the bye week very well under James Franklin, but, you know. Look you, at you being all pessimistic. Why are you so negative? Listen, somebody <laughs> has to be. We can't have you be the homer every time. Yeah, um, sure. I'm the homer. That's right. Um, that's what people tell me every time. Geiger's a homer. No, he's not. It's funny. Uh, Let me real aside quick. Pitt fans think I'm a Penn State homer. 
which is always hilarious to me. <laughs> I do find that mildly entertaining. But yeah, I mean, the schedule adjustment is huge because if you play a gauntlet schedule like that and you play Ohio State and Michigan back-to-back, it's just a recipe for disaster. Um, so with that said, you know, this gives them an opportunity to make an impact and, 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 and make a stronger, you know, push. Uh, you play Michigan off the bye. That's good. That's a great time to go into the uh, – it would be the big house this year um, and be healthy. That's always a plus. Again, optimistically speaking, Sean Clifford is going to be a fourth-year starter. Typically, that means things are good. That means he's got experience. Whether What remains to be seen is how that parlays itself into the season. But, again, there is, you know, there is room for cautious optimism for the Penn State schedule now that things have been uh, manipulated. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Clifford because, again, as we're talking about reasons to be optimistic, um, I'm going to include Sean Clifford in that. Now, I have certainly been uh, critical and hesitant of of wondering what Sean Clifford is going to do as a fourth-year starter. I'm not sold – in any way that he's going to be another Kenny Pickett or anything of the sort. But when you take a step back and you're trying to see things from a glass half full standpoint, even though Sean Clifford has been pretty average in his career, I do think that it's possible he could, he could come to the forefront and be much better in his final year. You're talking a lot of factors here. He's going to be 24 years old, Jerry, 24 He's going to be playing against a bunch of 18 and 19-year-old kids. and You, you would expect that to be an advantage. Absolutely. You, you would hope. I do think Sean Clifford is a very smart guy. I think Sean Clifford is a very astute, um, high IQ football player. When, when we, It's interesting. When we talk about athletes and, and everything and, and across all sports, and Jared, you're dealing with high school kids. I deal – with coaching my kids at the youth youth level, there is a massive difference, and it's very noticeable between high IQ athletes and athletes who just are not. You you can have a superstar athlete at any age that maybe isn't necessarily a high IQ, you know, kind of kind of person. You also can have high IQ people, people who know that who know what's going on very well, but aren't necessarily extremely talented. And what you want to do, obviously, is mix the high IQ person with the extremely talented person. And, and Sean Clifford is the, is the high IQ quarterback. He knows when to take off and run. He knows how to read defenses. He knows how to do the right things. The issue with Sean Clifford is actually performing physically the right throw. After he's made the read, putting the ball on the money, not throwing it high, not throwing an interception, those kinds of things. And so as we're trying to look ahead for reasons for optimism for this Penn State football team, again, I think you have a high IQ guy who is going to be in his second year with, an off, with the offensive coordinator in Mike Yersich. That's going to help. And so if he can just take that step to, to complement the high IQ and good leadership with actually better physical play, I, I do not think it's out of the realm of possibility that Sean Clifford has a really big year. Right. And I, I mean, he should, let's be real. He needs to, um, 
but again, you know, I'm very interested to see how things go for them. Skill position wise, I think they're going to be pretty good. Um, not, not going to lie. I think they should be pretty good. Uh, if they're not, I think that's unfortunate, but again, there's only so much you can do. Now, what I'm excited to see is the defense. You know, you've got to, you've got some options there. You lose a little bit. You lose Jesse Lucetta, you lose Brandon Smith, you lose Jaquan Brisker. Those are big shoes to fill uh, to Eric Castro Fields as well. They had experience. And, but, you know, you have Jair Brown, who's played incredible football of late. He played very well in the Outback Bowl. Um, that's a, that's a, I, I think that's a reason to be optimistic. Uh, you had a new defensive coordinator. You have Manny Diaz. You have an, an obviously a new linebackers coach because, and that's the same thing for, so for Diaz. So I'm very interested to see how the defense looks moving forward because this is the, this is the most change that defense has had in, in quite some time. And that's where, when we're having this discussion, and again, um, change can be worrisome. Change can be, okay, well, now I'm, a, I'm, I'm concerned. You're losing Brent Pry. He was terrific. You're, you're losing some pretty good talent on the defensive side of the ball. Arnold Ebikiti is going to be a first-round pick, perhaps. Uh, you're losing Jaquan Brisker, an All-American. But what you're talking about, and, and I will throw this out there again, um, trying to look at the glass half full component of all this. Manny Diaz's defense, defenses are known to force a lot of turnovers. That could be a really big thing for Penn State. One thing we've just not seen, even when Penn State has had good defenses, and this goes back for 20 years, uh, not always necessarily been a great team at turning the ball over, turning teams over. Uh, so if, if that could be something that Manny Diaz could bring to this defense, just that mindset, that mentality of getting a, a couple turnovers per game, what could that do? Uh, so, uh, so again, there, this can go both ways. This could be a glass half full, glass half empty. Again, we're trying to be optimistic here. I happen to think it, I happen to think that there could be some concerns with the personnel they're losing, and it's a lot of personnel that that the defense could take a step backwards, but. In, in trying to keep with the, our, our theme of the day and be optimistic, you bring some new blood, some new attitudes, some new thought processes into the mix. And uh, I'll throw out Joey Porter Jr. Uh, to me, real, pretty disappointing season in 2021, Jared. Just too many penalties, uh, not strong fundamentals and technique. You figure he's going to be better because he's a potential first, second round pick next year. And so if he's better, you mentioned Jair Brown. I think they'll probably end up getting some guys from the transfer portal to help out. So if you add all those things up, are there going to be questions there? Yeah. I mean, there, there are going to be questions on defense without, without a doubt. But if we, if we think about the possibility of change being good in this way, Penn State fans can maybe cross their fingers and hope that that's the case. Yeah. I mean, Joe Porter Jr. had a frustrating season because after the Ohio State game, I thought he – well, during the Ohio State game, he got exposed. Um, you know, the defensive holdings, pass interferences, he just, it just wasn't the same after that game. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, there, there are always reasons to be optimistic, but this is, a, this is an intriguing team because um, the offensive line needs to step up. They, I think, you know, Troutline's coaching for his job next year, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, in my opinion. Um, 
You know, defensively, you lose Brent Pry. That's a big loss. He has been on that staff since James Franklin got there. So, you know, it, it's just one of the situations where, you know, you, you have some big shoes to fill both up front and on the back end of that, uh, that defense um, and, and Jahan Dotson too. So um, there are reasons to be optimistic, but, you know, I think you've got to proceed with caution uh, from there. But I think, you know, when we come back from the short break, we're going to talk about some of those guys that are going to be in the NFL draft and, and what their stocks are like, as well as some other players throughout the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania uh, that can see their names called uh, on draft day. And before we do that, I just want to mention real quick the offensive line. We don't go into years thinking that the offensive line is a reason for optimism. And, and I'm not going to beat around the bush here and say that that's going to be the case next year. Either. The offensive line is going to be the biggest question mark on the team next year because if they don't get their crap together, then nothing Sean Clifford does matters. Nothing the running game does matters. In, in this optimism, clearly you're bringing in Drew Aller, a, a tremendous quarterback recruit, Nick Singleton, a tremendous running back recruit. Won't matter. None of that will matter unless Penn State can figure out its stuff at the offensive line spot. But they've got younger guys there, a Tang wall, and maybe, maybe they'll uh, approach the transfer portal from that standpoint too, Jared. Again, I'm, I'm really I'm, – I'm, I'm stre- we're stretching it here a little bit to try to force the offensive line into a discussion where we – things about we want to be optimistic about because I, I go into every year kind of pessimistic about the offensive line because that's really what the history of Penn State football has been for a, a lot of years. Um, this century anyway so but from an optimistic standpoint how about this part Jared they can't be any worse right I mean they can't be any worse than the second worst rushing attack in the history of the damn program yeah I I, I mean you say that they can't get much worse uh stranger things have happened but at the end of the day what isn't the worst is hearing from our lovely sponsors so we'll catch you on the flip side of this break on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network, you're listening to the We Are Podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the VR Podcast, the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. He's Corey Geiger. I'm Jared Pruver. Corey, this is the time of year where Penn State players start to put themselves on the map testing. And I don't mean on the books. They're not hitting the books. I mean, some of them still are. Still, they're all taking classes. But classes have just started for the semester. What I'm talking about is testing physically, t- testing lifting weights, uh, mental testing, those sorts of things as as those guys prepare for the NFL draft. Say what, it's something that Penn State has done an exceptional job in, uh, really understanding how to develop the physical aspect of college football players. 
they they always have tested well at at pro day at the combine. Dwight Galt did a, a fantastic job, the strength and conditioning coach. He is now retired, and they've replaced him in, in house. So we'll see how things continue to develop with the program. But I don't I don't see see any drop off there. That is certainly something to be optimistic about, which we were discussing earlier. As we get into you know the draft talk here over the next couple of months. Mel Kuyper came out with his first mock draft for ESPN this past week. And lo and behold, Jared, I mean, pretty, pretty darn surprising and amazing because we've talked about Jahan Dodson being a first round pick uh, and Kuyper's got him going 26 to the Dolphins. We've talked about Jaquan Brisker maybe being a first round pick. He's not in Kuyper's first round, but he, he could sneak in there somewhere, but who, who would have thought at any point that, at least as of now, the leading draft analyst in this country has the first player off the board for Penn State being Arnold Evocati. Now, Arnold, AK had a, a really good year, uh, transfer from Temple, first team all Big Ten. And I've seen him, you know, third round pick, <coughs> excuse me, maybe in the second round. I was pretty stunned pretty stunned that Kuiper had him at, at the number 16 pick to the Eagles. That is way higher than anybody that I'd really seen, but Hey, you know, it just goes to show you come in and you have uh, the kind of year in the big 10 that Arnold did put up huge numbers, nine and a half sacks, 18 tackles for loss. Could he, could he sneak into the top 20? Wow. I mean, that would be, That'd be quite an accomplishment. I, but like I said, I was pretty stunned when I saw Kuiper had him there. Yeah, I, you know, it's obviously Penn, you, you typically don't see guys transfer up um, in situations like that, but he did it. And honestly, I was surprised. I, the way that he played, I'm very surprised that he wasn't any, it, he wasn't higher than Temple. There's no disrespect to Temple, which I think is a is fine academic institution and great athletic programs. Um, but, you know, Penn State is far superior than Temple. So, but the way that he played, you wouldn't have known that he went to Temple for, for however long um, because he, he looked like he belonged from the get-go. Um, and that, that's impressive. And I think that speaks volumes to what he's been able to accomplish as a student athlete. Um, but I think, you know, that, that's great for him moving forward because he came in and you, you switch programs for your last year and you show that you're obviously willing to be coachable. And you show that you're willing to be coached up and, and willing to learn and, and grow. And I think that's huge too, because, you know, if, if he doesn't come in and have success, well, now you're kind of worried. You're, you're worried that, you know, the, the transfer portal isn't working for Penn state, but also like this kid, if I'm an NFL evaluator, okay, well, why didn't this kid work out? But, you know, he works out uh, 34 or I'm sorry, 62 total tackles nine and a half sacks, two forced fumbles, you know, to compare that to what he did at Temple. Um, so you would have to look at, uh, let's see, 59. So he had 59 total tackles in three years at Temple prior to that, uh, six total sacks, uh, three forced fumbles uh, over those three years. So he comes in at Penn State, fits in very well, and is, I thought, one of the biggest leaders of that defensive unit um for most of the season if not all yeah and whether he'll be a first round pick or not remains to be seen but hey um 
you got to give the guy credit. He came in, he did, uh, he maximized his opportunity at Penn State, showed out on a big stage. Then, then you've got Jahan Dotson slated to go 26th in the draft to the Dolphins. That that seems about right. I, I think maybe Jahan could go a little bit sooner, you know, depending on how some things go. But I will say this. I love Jahan Dotson as a receiver for this reason. He just catches every ball. I place a premium on my receivers of guys who hold on to every ball, okay? Because, hey, I'm a Steelers fan, and they suck. They suck at catching the damn ball. I don't care how big you are. I don't care what your damn 40 time is. I don't care what your vertical leap is. I don't care, you know, about anything. Catch the ball. Catch the ball, okay? And I'm talking specifically about a Chase Claypool, a Deontay Johnson kind of guy's for the Steelers, and, and there are others around the NFL, but as a Steelers fan, I'll, I'll bring that up. You got to catch the damn football, and that's the one thing Jahan Dotson does. Is he the biggest guy in the world? No. Is he the fastest guy in the world? I do think he's faster than maybe people think. We'll see how the 40 times go. And, and I, I, you know, vertical leaps, all that stuff is important, but at the end of the day, man, in the NFL, and, and I could see Jahan even playing some slot, you know, we'll, we'll see what kind of system he gets into. But the bottom line is, no matter how you use Jahan Dotson, where you throw him the ball, on little crossing routes, on fade patterns, on 50-50 balls, whatever the case might be, the guy catches everything. And you know who I also said that about? Pat Fryermuth. Mm -hmm. Caught everything. To me, I love Jahan Dotson's potential. Will he necessarily be a number one receiver? Maybe not. But I can see Jahan Dotson catching 80, 90 passes consistently, you know, once he gets some experience and being a Chris Godwin kind of guy. Because the one thing about Godwin, the one thing about Allen Robinson, these Penn State receivers we've seen, they catch every pass, Jared. Yeah, Dotson's ball skills, I thought, were probably the most impressive that I've seen outside of Chris Godwin. Um, just, just the impressiveness of his hands and his body control when he's in the air. I thought were just spectacular. The catch against Chris Olave, I believe, uh, against Ohio State last season at Beaver Stadium, where he just goes up, high points the ball, grabs it with one hand, comes down with it. I thought it was one of the best plays of all time. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's got the skills, he's got the capabilities. Yeah, Fryermuth, great season for uh, for the Steelers. I know he was banged up quite a bit at times, but a fully healthy Pat Fryermuth is going to bode well for the Steelers. Um, you know, we mentioned earlier about Kenny Pickett. The Steelers are in need of a quarterback. Um, so I'm going to go out on a limb and say Kenny Pickett will not go to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I think it's the worst place that he could ever go um, as a quarterback because the expectations that fans and people in Pittsburgh would put on him would be completely unfair for a quarterback of, uh, of his stature and completely unfair for a quarterback in general. Just what they would expect him to do with the Steelers. I'm not saying that you know it's not warranted because what he's done with Pitt and what he did in his career at Pitt was, was spectacular. But the, the expectations and the pressure on him to succeed uh, in the black and gold right next door to Pitt's facility uh, on the south side would just be insurmountable. I'll tell you, Jared, this is a there's a lot to discuss here. And this is the Penn State podcast. Um, but I'm, I'm a Steelers fan. We're obviously on a, a Pittsburgh-based site. I, I worry significantly for about the Steelers future 
and I'll throw this out. When is the next time the Pittsburgh Steelers will get to the playoffs? When is the next time the Pittsburgh Steelers will win a playoff game? They are in purgatory now. The Pittsburgh Steelers are in purgatory in the NFL because they don't have a quarterback. Mason Rudolph is not the guy. I held off longer than maybe most on Mason Rudolph because I, I really loved what he did in college, but I think that was a mirage. I, I think that he was in a system there, and, and we've talked about the Big 12 with regard to Mike Yersich. They don't play any freaking defense in that, in that conference. And so I think what Mason Rudolph did at Oklahoma State it, it was a mirage compared to the NFL. And so, I re- look, I'll sit here and say that I want the Steelers to be a factor, but you've got the Bengals – Oh, my goodness. As we're speaking, the Niners just blocked a punt against the Packers to score a touchdown to tie that game at 10-10. So, again, this is late Saturday night, and I'm watching my phone as that game. And the Packers look like they were in total control of that game, Jared, to go to the NFC Championship game, and the Niners just tied it. So, wow. Um, But, look, I want the Steelers to be a factor. I want them to be relevant. When you don't have a quarterback – your chances of being irrelevant are huge. Bengals are in the AFC Championship game. They've got Joe Burrow. The, 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 I think the Ravens are going to be fine. They, they fired Wink Martin, the defensive coordinator, which is a surprise. And I've got questions about Lamar Jackson's longevity as a running quarterback. But, again, I think they're going to be fine, too. Huntley's there. Uh, am I sold on Baker Mayfield? Absolutely not. They are the Cleveland Browns. But you have a chance where the Steelers could be an afterthought in the AFC North Maybe for a few years, Kevin Colbert's retiring. Mike Tomlin hasn't won a playoff game since 2016. The the odds go on and on against the Steelers being a big factor unless they find the right quarterback. And so with regards to Kenny Pickett, is he the right quarterback for the Steelers? I don't really think so. I don't necessarily think Kenny – he did have the one great year, and I want to give him all props in the world. And no, this isn't some Penn State writer – ripping on Pitt. I, I just don't know that that Kenny is going to be able to step into the NFL and be the kind of guy that we're thinking, you know, right off the bat can can keep the Pittsburgh Steelers relevant. I think I think he's the kind of guy that maybe he needs two to three years development time, sit behind somebody that's got a quarterback. If he comes to Pittsburgh, he's going to be expected to play immediately, immediately and to contribute. And I don't like that with rookie quarterbacks. So uh, to me, Jared, I, I don't like the Steelers going the Kenny Pickett route, but I do think they should pick a quarterback, if not the first round. You know, w- w- I'm curious your thoughts. Is this the year that they go get a quarterback for you? Because it's not like they've got a tremendously strong quarterback class coming in. My thing is the same thing that we've talked about for Penn State. If that offensive line isn't markedly improved, then it does you a disservice to go out and get a rookie quarterback because you're going to stunt his career and stunt his growth. If that offensive line is going to be improved, go out and get a quarterback second, third, fourth round, see what they can do. Uh, first, first round, I think they got to go offensive line. You got to build that offensive line for the Steelers. Um, you know, it, there are a lot of similarities uh, in my opinion between Pittsburgh and um uh, in between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Penn State Nittany Lions because, you know, they were kind of hamstr- – the Steelers were hamstrung by their quarterback. They have the skill guys. Penn State has the skill guys. They were hamstrung by Sean Clifford's decisions or, or you know, or not, you know, every once in a while uh, or, or in, um, some of his decision-making skills. 
Um, and then defensively, up front, they were great. Middle of the field, eh. And in the back end, I thought they had a really good year for the um, for the Nittany Lions as well. So there are a lot of similarities between the Steelers and the Nittany Lions. But at the end of the day, you know, hey, you got to go out and play. And, and you know, you t- we talk about these draft picks all the time. Penn State, you know, you got to figure out what you what you're what you want, right? Because Penn State is churning out high quality draft picks for the NFL, high high quality players. You mentioned the 49ers playing. They got Robbie Gold, who's been in the league since 2005. I was 15. And um, Kevin Gibbons, Altoona native, um, former Mountain Lion, he's also playing for the 49ers too. So, I mean, they've got a lot of guys still playing. Um, you know, Nick Scott, Grant Haley with the Rams. And Adrian Amos had a huge interception to Jimmy Garoppolo. And then also Ryan Bates for the Bills. You know, we talked about that last week. Uh, they still got some guys playing. And, and that's, you know, you look at what you want you know, the results haven't been the greatest on the field by any means for Penn State, but they're churning out high quality players left and right. And that's, and I, oh, I don't want to forget about Donovan Smith um, and Godwin, even though he's on the IR, but, you know, they're turning out high quality draft picks, high quality NFL talent. The results just aren't, aren't coming to fruition on the field yet. Sure. And that's, uh, that's something, you know, as long as you're recruiting well, you would hope all of those things would continue. And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the reasons for optimism. Um, I, I do want to mention that Mel Kuyper had the Steelers taking Ole Miss quarterback Matt, Matt Corral with the number 20 pick. He had Pickett going 18th to the Saints and then Matt Corral going 20th to the Steelers. I'll echo your sentiments. Um, if you don't have the pieces around that guy to protect him, to put him in a position to succeed, then you are going to waste that draft pick. That, that's a wasted draft pick unless you've got the offensive line. I go back to the New York Giants with Saquon Barkley. That's a wasted draft pick. And Saquon Barkley is incredibly talented, and I really, really do hope that he has a really good NFL career. For those you know who don't know, and I'm pulling this up so I can get the number exactly right, Saquon Barkley this year rushed for 593 yards, 593 yards in 13 games. He is a middling NFL running back, finishes around 40th in the NFL in rushing yardage. Is he a middling talent? No, he's a sensational talent, but their offensive line is terrible. That organization is terrible. The draft, where you go, your success is dependent on so many factors. I hope Saquon Barkley can have a great NFL career. But you know what, Jared? If he doesn't get the hell out of New York and find a spot that that can put him in a position to succeed, Saquon Barkley will be a major bust in the NFL. I hope that's not the case because I'm not talking about him being a bust physically and talent-wise. But if you're rushing for 593 yards, that's a bust when you're the number two pick. Right, and he's just not been able to stay healthy. Miles Sanders has been in the same boat, not, not able to stay healthy, and they play the most physical positions. The same thing with Chris Godwin, tears his ACL. Uh, it's just unfortunate. And even Pat Fryer hasn't been able to stay healthy in his rookie year. But, you know, 
speaking of getting the hell out of things, let's get the hell out of the second segment here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Uh, for Corey, I'm Jared. This is the second segment of the We Are Podcast. We'll talk to you on the flip side of this break for the final segment. Final segment of the We Are Podcast, the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. He's Geiger. Pittsburgh's Panther fans think he's a homer. I'm Jared. I don't even know what people think about me, but it doesn't really matter anyway. Corey, let's have a final segment free for all here. What's on your mind when it pertains, what as far as it pertains to college sports? You know what? I'm a huge college basketball fan. Uh, I, I love this time of year as we start to get into February. Uh, Penn State lost at Iowa today, did not play well, 68-51, really struggled offensively. Uh, So, you know, earlier we were talking about reasons to be optimistic about the Penn State football program. There are a lot of reasons to be optimistic about the future of the Penn State basketball program, and we touched on that last last week. But I want to get ultra-specific here and talk about this year's Penn State team because my concern with this team is, again, just where's the scoring going to come from? on a consistent basis when you're asking your guys to be bulldogs on the defensive end, when you're asking guys to really defend hard and give all out max effort on the defensive end, do you have enough energy to come back then and be the star on the offensive end? Well, Hey, that's a, that's a tough ask. That's a tough ask, especially in college basketball where, you know, a lot of guys just can't shoot in college basketball. I, I, I watch an NBA game. Everybody can shoot, you know, basket, 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 basket. Everybody's shooting 54% for a game, 46% for three. You go watch college basketball, it's 43% from the field, 33% from three in a lot of games. Um, and and you, so you can win ugly. You can win ugly at times in college basketball, and you can win with defense in college basketball if you're just tremendous at it. But my concern for this Penn State team this year, and then something I, I think Micah Shrewsbury is going to have to address going forward is you got to get scores. You got to get some people that can score. You know, Virginia, Virginia would hold people to 48, 50, 52 points for a lot of years, and they would have great regular seasons, and they would get into the NCAA tournament. And then you lose as a 116 seed game to UMBC because they couldn't score. And that was Virginia's problem for a lot of years. So what does Tony Bennett do? He goes out and he gets a lot of guys that can score. Kyle, Kyle Guy, you know, some other, uh, some other guys, DeAndre Hunter. I, I, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit with, you know, the best case scenario. But I think what I want to see from Michael Shrewsbury after this year, you got to find some guys that can score. But the problem is, Jared, and you deal with high school kids, kids who want to score, do they want to bust their ass defensively? That, and that's a challenge. Yeah, I mean, we talk about complementary football and basketball all the time. I mean, you have to give good effort on the defensive end. Um, and that sometimes, you know, or a lot of the time kind of takes a tool on the offensive end too because, you know, you're not always able to get the shots up. You're not always – it's almost like you're taking a break when you're on offense because of just the way that your legs are and the, just the way that your legs are playing because you're tired. Playing defense is tough, whether it's a zone, a man – 
what have you, you just got to be, you know, you just kind of got to go with it. I mean, that's why you see when they, when they have high scoring games, there's not a lot of defense, but when, they, when you have low scoring games, clearly there's a lot of defense and not a lot of offense. So it's, it's the give and take uh, just the way that it is, the way that the game goes. And I think that's kind of what makes basketball unique. I like the job that Shrewsbury has done thus far. I, we said that a couple times before I'm very interested to see how he can develop this team as it keeps going and throughout the season, because he still hasn't been able to recruit a full class yet. And I want to switch gears here a little bit and uh, step on Chris Carter's toes and talk some pit basketball. Uh, Cause I think Jeff Capel's got to go. Um, I, I think that uh, after getting off to a, a pretty nice start following up the, the Kevin Stallings disaster, you know, Jeff Capel, it's just gotten away from them this year. A lot of issues. They've, they've gotten better. They were a disaster at the beginning of the year. They've, they've gotten a little bit better. Uh, crushed today by Clemson. I, I, as a lifelong Syracuse fan, Jared, I was always befuddled by Pitt and angered and frustrated by Pitt because Jamie Dixon, most years, or a lot of years that Jamie Dixon was there, they were better than Syracuse. They beat Syracuse, knew how to beat the zone, somewhat near a top 10 program, top 15 program for the better part of a decade. And then they would get into the tournament and they didn't have complete teams to succeed in the tournament. We talked about, you know, you got to be able to score in the tournament. Pitt was always kind of like those Virginia teams. Mm -hmm. But man, those Jamie Dixon years, they might as be might as well be 30 years ago because this pit program is so far removed from what Jamie Dixon was able to do, Jared. And I, I, I just think after this year, uh, if, if, if it can be done, they are, they need to move on from Jeff Cable, you know, barring some kind of tremendous finish by the Panthers in the ACC. I, I just think they need to get somebody else in there. Cause it, it's this has just been this has been a downfall that uh, I'm sure Pitt fans would not have expected four years in with with, with Capel, but I'll tell you, I, I cannot stress how far removed they are from the Jamie Dixon days. Yeah, you know the old school Big East was some great basketball. You know, playing every every conference championship at the Garden uh, was great too. Um, I I agree. I mean, you know, Jeff Capel I thought was a great hire at the time. Now he hasn't he hasn't been fortunate enough to to get any you know anything handed to him by any means. You know the ACC is tough recruiting kids. Hey, I, you could go to Duke, you could go to Carolina, you could go to NC State, or you could come to Pittsburgh. Um, you know it's a tough sell in the big the Big East. You could go out and get those guys from Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, because you know that you're going to play your at the end of the season at Madison Square Garden every year. Now you're okay. Well, we're going to go to Greensboro. We might be on the fringe of, of an NCAA tournament, and that's tough. That's really tough. You know, he's been dealt not necessarily the greatest hand. I, I want to say it's probably like if if I was a gambling man, this is probably you know four or five offsuit. Um, not the greatest by any means. You know, on the flop it comes down. You know, uh, five, and then maybe maybe a couple matching suits but other than that he just gets rivered and you know ends it it's tough to win in the ACC coaches go through it all the time 
But, you know, you got to put up or shut up. And unfortunately, he has not done that just yet. Um, you know, I, um, I'm always of the belief that coaches, no matter what level, should get at least three or four years to build their programs the way that they want them. He's been hit hard by transfers. All three Division One basketball teams in Pittsburgh have gotten pounded by transfers uh, out of the program. Uh, good, bad, and different reasons. Uh, that's that's their prerogative. That's that's on them. You know, I'm. Hey, there's only so much you can do to recruit somebody, but if they want to come out and play, they're going to come out and play. Um, but you know, while he's not been helped by that, you know, the results just haven't come on the court, and that's kind of shocking for as highly touted as he was um, coming out off the Duke staff. Yeah, they're seven and twelve. They're two and six in the ACC, next to last in the ACC right now. And I want to mention one other thing too, because uh, hey, I I look at this for, for my team as well. I'm a Syracuse fan. Um, Jim Beheim has lost that program. They're nine and ten right now. Uh, got pounded by twenty today by Duke. They're three and five in the ACC. Now they did go to the Sweet Sixteen last year, and he pulled out a miracle run. But you know, he the way that program has really kind of uh, slipped over the last number of years. You know, I grew up in Syracuse being a, a legitimate, easy NCAA tournament team every year. Now it's if they get in, they're the last team in, and and every year kind of seems to be the same. You know, I, I, as a father, I'm sure it's awesome for him to be able to coaching be coaching his two boys this year, Buddy, who is a really good player, Jimmy, who's a good player. But at the same time, you know. They're nine and ten. This is the latest in the se- in any season during Jim Bayham's forty something years that they've been under five hundred, and they, they have a, there's a legitimate chance they'll finish under five hundred this year. Uh, is it time for him to go? You know, he said he wants to keep coaching. These coaches, these coaches, Jared, that have so they're kings. They're 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 the kings of their programs, and they just they get to stay forever. These lifetime contracts. I just have a problem with it you know because uh at the end you generally see most coaches in their programs football and basketball things start to slide and dip at the end they're too stubborn and proud and don't have anything else to do so they hang on and hang on and hang on and as a Syracuse fan I I think that's what's happened with Bayheim. and uh again but when these coaches have been been at these places for so long nobody it's hard to force them out so mm-hmm. you get stuck with you get stuck with mediocrity, right? And and listen, that's and that's football and basketball. I mean, I, a couple of examples off the top of my head. You look at Eddie Sutton at Oklahoma State. You look at Bobby Knight at Texas Tech. You look at I'm a Carolina fan, but I, I don't want to really want. I don't really want to put Roy Williams here, but he he struggled his last few years with health issues more than anything. But you know, it's a changing culture in college athletics because of the transfer portal. But, I mean, if you want to turn this around on, a Penn, on Penn State, because this is a Penn State podcast, Joe Paterno in the early 2000s, Penn State was bad. They were bad football teams. They were just not good. And, you know, you stick around for too long, you're either made out to be the hero or the GOAT. And, and more often than not, you're the GOAT. And that's not always the greatest by any means. And it's a shame that, that, that things happen to other people and, and to for for all of it to go out. It's always good for me. The way that I look at it is go out on your own terms. Guys like coach K are able to go out on their own terms. Roy Williams um, going out on, on his own terms last season. Now Hubert Davis is at, is at UNC. 
you know, different coaches like that that are able to go out on their own terms, dictate when they're able to finish because not every coach is like that. And, and it, it's tough because coaching is a, is a sacrifice. Coaching is your life for 12 months out of the year, 365 days a year. It, you sacrifice time with your family, your wife, your girlfriend, whoever, whatever. You sacrifice so much as a coach at every level, at every level, and especially at a level where winning is everything. You know, that's tough. And, and when you come in and, and your administrators are, are on you about winning, it adds that pressure. Winning hides everything. It hides the successes that you're having on the court. It's, it hides it, it hides the successes or the failures that you might be having off the court in the locker room. Losing exploits that. And, and you see that all too often now, you know, with guys like the Warden Williams when they when Carolina was bad last year. The wheels came off the bucks. Yes, Gordon. Just as we're speaking, Robbie Gold kicked a 45-yard field goal as time expired to beat the Green Bay Packers. In a game, I, I, I just want to throw this out. Jimmy Garoppolo threw for 131 yards at Lambeau Field. Yes. And the Niners won the game with 12 first downs. So, and then you have Penn State product. No offensive touchdowns. No off, yeah. And he, yeah. So you have Robbie Gold, thanks to a, a, a block field goal for a, a block punt for a touchdown that tied the game. And then the Niners got a hold. The, then they drive down the field and uh, Penn State product Robbie Gold kicks San Fran into the NFC Championship game along with Kevin Givens. So uh, two former Penn State guys there. We've talked a lot in the past about Robbie Gold being kind of an average kicker in college. Here we are, Robbie Gold at 64 years old is going to be in the NFC Championship game, Jared. <laughs> I mean, just amazing. I, mean, I got to look and see exactly how, how old Robbie Gold Truly is. He's he's 39 years. I wasn't, wasn't too far off. But yeah. man, oh man, what what an incredible wow. I mean, you, you go in there, you have no offense whatsoever, and you shut down Aaron Rodgers in probably his final game as a Green Bay Packer. And how about this, Jared? Because I'm kind of critical, you know, Mike Tomlin only won one Super Bowl with Ben Roethlisberger, with Ben. Uh, and, and couldn't succeed in the playoffs for a long time. The Green Bay Packers have had two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time for the last 27 whatever mm -hmm. years. You know how many Super Bowls they've won? Two. two. Favre won one, Rodgers won one, and now they're going to be in quarterback purgatory. Yeah, it's crazy to see how that works, man. And, and Robbie Gould was on those miserable two, the early 2000s. Penn State teams that we were talking about under Joe Paterno, um, you know, when he – when we kind of felt like he held on a little too long. But, you know, it, it just goes to show you that, that it, what you do in college doesn't define you. We talk about this all the time. When you get to college as a prospect, your stars don't matter anymore. When you go to the NFL, it's all about staying there. It's surviving. It's surviving advance. You're fight or flight the entire time. And that's great for Kevin um, and Robbie. Um you know, they'll play either Tampa Bay or Los Angeles yep. um, in the NFC Championship game uh, next weekend. You know, that's awesome. But uh, any final thoughts before we say goodbye for this week? I'm just sitting here stunned, man, because. Or should we say gold by? 
Yeah, for, for it to end that way for the Packers, 10 points at home in the playoffs with a guy that I can make the case is the best quarterback of all time. He's not the greatest quarterback of all time, just for distinctions here. Tom Brady's won seven Super Bowls. Tom Brady is the greatest sports athlete in world history, period. I, I mean, seven Super Bowls, he's got more himself than any team, all right? And, yeah, you can talk Bill Russell and all. That's a different game. So in terms of greatest, there's Tom Brady and then everybody else. But in terms of best, if you were going to pick a quarterback to start any team ever, I can make a case that you'd pick Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers' talent is as good as anybody that's ever played, and he's won one Super Bowl, and now he's going to be leaving Green Bay after scoring but, 10 points at home. The shocking that, that thing stunning. The shocking thing for Aaron Rodgers is that he has not even reached very many conference championship games, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and, and that kind of goes – he, he hasn't always had great teams around him. Aaron has had to carry the burden. You know, look, Tom Brady had to carry the burden with not necessarily great offensive players for a long time, but he had Bill Belichick, and those were, by and large, tremendous teams that the Patriots had. The Packers kept things in-house. They didn't go sign free agents under their former GM. I think his name was Ted Thompson. So it was a different situation for Aaron and for Favre. But um, my buddy just texted me, calls my radio show all the time. His name's Rob. A complete dud by Rodgers. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's been shooting his mouth off all year. Like him or not, you know, he's the anti-vax poster boy. But he, he, he no touchdowns, 10 points. In your finale, that is a tremendously disappointing finish for Aaron Rodgers. Yes, and a great finish for the 49ers. I unfortunately cashed out my 49ers money line bet uh, early in the first half, not realizing that that game was going to turn out that way. So shame on me uh, for that. So as the epitome of pain continues for me and my betting ways on the game of football, I think it's time to say goodbye for this week. So for Corey Geiger, this has been Jared Kruger on the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. We thank you as always for listening and have a great week. We will talk to you again next week.